Gamers, this is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Brother Head, and this is my, well, mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. Sometimes I'm alone, sometimes I manage to con a guest onto the show. So if you like comic books like Firestorm and the Atom, or movies like Back to the Future, or even the Star Wars sequels, uh, or anything else geeky, this, this is the place for you. So let's get the flux capacitor fluxing, the TARDIS tarting, and let's say, Shazam! On with this episode of Head Speaks. that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hey, dear listeners, Brother Head coming at you. Here we are with Head Speaks, episode 72. Uh, no preamble, we're going to get right into the show. So, let's begin with... Faster than a speeding bullet. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest. So here we are, continuing our coverage of Power of the Atom. This month we're looking at Power of the Atom number 12. Cover date was May of 1989. The on-sale date, March the 28th of 1989. The cover price was $1. The title was called Shrinking into the Fire. This had a guest writer of William Messner Loeb's. Penciler was Graham Nolan. Inker, Keith Stan Wilson. Letterer, Bill Oakley. Colorist, Nancy Hulian. And the cover was done by Dwayne Turner and Keith Stan Wilson. And this was edited by Super Mike Carlin. So let's go ahead and take a look at the issue. Uh, as usual, we're going to start with the cover. So the cover, uh, we've got the Atom and Paul Hoban. Uh, they're traveling through the cosmos. Okay, it looks like they're actually traveling at microscopic size. There's a subheading on here called Substandards. And it looks like almost like they're flying through space. But having read the story, we know they're actually shrunk down to microscopic size. And they're, they're look, we're looking at atoms and nuclei and all that other good stuff. So it's a very nice cover. I like this cover. I, we got Paul. He's in his regular clothes. His tie's floating freely there. And he's kind of waving his arms like he's trying to swim. While the atom's got his arms at the side like a super, standard superhero flying pose. And you can almost see the fear on Paul's face. Uh, it's a great cover. I, I really like it. It tells us kind of what's going on inside. This scene is almost in the book. And as I said, I, I like when the the cover kind of tells us what's going on or we get, you know, like a scene from the book on the cover. So very nice cover. I like this one. Uh, move on to the story itself. Uh, we're starting out of prison where we have our old pal Strobe, who appeared in issue, I think it was issue three of the Power of the Atom, trying to make a name for himself, taking out uh, Ray 
and Ray was able to disable his, his uh, the fuel canister water on his back and take him out. Well, our, our buddy Strobe is in jail. And again, when uh, Ray took out his, his power supply or whatever it was, it caused his jetpack or whatever it was, his power source to catch on fire. And apparently old Strobe still having nightmares about that because we start the story. He's in there, help, help, help me. And he's thinking he's burning alive. And his, his cellmate wakes him up. His name's Marco. Wakes him up. So, hey, you're having a dream. And basically, we get kind of a recap from Strobe's point of view of what happened in Power of the Atom 3 when he thought he could take on our hero. And I like the way you, uh, William S. Rhodes wrote this. He's going on about how, you know, his name's a strobe. He smashes the banks like it was paper. And he would have took out the Adam. Adam, Adam tricked me. You heard of me? And the other guy's like, no, man. <laughs> strobe thinks he's, you know, this big shot supervillain. And they, you heard of me? No. Who the hell are you? I don't know. And then his roommate, Marco, tells him that he plans on becoming a supervillain himself once he gets out. He's got himself a nice super suit and a sword. Uh, he got busted on l- lousy, bad paper charge, means counterfeiting. And so instead of being a supervillain, he's in jail with a supervillain. And I like this as he's talking. He's like, uh, yeah, got this really bad suit and weapon, and uh, yeah, he calls it a sword, a special sword. And Strobe's like, super suit, huh? Yeah, sweet man. It'd be terrifying. All you need is the right equipment. Ka-chow. So I like the interaction between Strobe and Marco here as Marco thinks he's just talking to another, you know, his fellow celibate and letting him know, you know, I'm going to become a villain myself. Yeah, I'm going to, you know. And, well, we'll find out what's going to happen later in the story. Uh, Then we get to the Adams house, actually the lab where Ray's staying at. And, again, he's kind of thinking, well, maybe I should get my own place. But, you know... I'm comfortable here. I don't, you know, I don't need anything else besides what I got here. And the phone rings and it's Gene. And I answer, he's like, Ray's diner, Ray's speaking. And Gene, Gene's basically warning him that after their battle last uh, time, Paul is still, he's talking about suing Ray and he's still holding a grudge against Ray. He thinks that Ray's trying to steal Gene from him. And I like that she's like, he's, you know, he's talking about charging you with assaults. And Ray's like, well, he attacked me. She's like, I know, but there were no witnesses. Man, he is a very good lawyer. He's just not sane. That was my own thought there. But, you know, maybe you should leave town for a while. What? You'll be able to run away just because that. And we get cut off. He's like, you know, just, I can't. I don't want him hearing me talking to you. I need to go. And, of course, we have Paul standing there in the, in the doorway listening to Jean as she tries to warn Ray about Paul going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, basically. Cocoa Puffs! And just to underline the point and pet an exclamation mark that Paul's gone a little crazy, he brings his briefcase out and he's, you know, he talking to himself, actually saying to himself that, you know, Gene still loves Ray. He's stealing her from him. And he's like, Palmer's going to try to just get me to spar. And Gene always thinks he's better than me, unless he's dead. And, and Paul's got like this crazy sweat going off his head to let you know he's crazy as he pulls again out and holds it up next to his head like, unless he's dead. So again, Paul is losing touch of reality and he's blaming Ray for all their problems. And uh, again, this isn't going to end well for somebody. And then we cut over to Strobe where he's meeting up with Marco's uh, girlfriend. 
And apparently he's on, we found he's out on bail. And he's saying, you know, Marco wants him to check on the suit while he's out. And so, again, he pulls out this this laser sword, I guess you can call it. And, yeah, he's waving around. He's like, you know, feels like it's part of his arm. And she lets again, she lets him know, you know, Marco says you got to recharge that pack every couple hours. And I thought that was going to be part of the a main part of the story or something that, you know, cause she's reminding him to, you know, you got to charge it, but, uh, spoilers, it doesn't come up where he has to recharge. It doesn't last that long, but he takes the laser sword and cuts through a chair and he's on. Like, now I can really get the Adam. Nothing can stop me. And Marco's girlfriend's like, Hey, you just can't take that stuff. I'll tell Marco. Yeah, I guess you're right. When you wake up, it'll be too late to tell anyone. And he hits her with the sword and knocks her. I first thought maybe he killed her the way of looking because he slices that cow, that chair like nobody's business. Then he just turns and turns the sword on her. But he's talking like she's just knocked out. Uh, I think this is the last time we see her. So it, I guess it doesn't really matter the scheme of things if she's dead or not because uh, she's not going to be you know part of anything in the future. But yeah, I thought he killed her first. But reading what he says, she's just unconscious. Uh, but again, great work here. Great artwork with the sword that he's holding. Yeah, he's waving the sword around and cut the chair in half. He, not like the, the, the pink coloring coming off when he's slicing through the chair. Fantastic coloring, fantastic artwork on this. And then we cut over to Ray sitting there in his t-shirt uh, talking about how Ricky wants him to speak at one of her classes you know, he said, oh, this is pretty boring. Maybe a joke. A funny thing happened to me on the way to lecture. As I was walking under this cockroach, it said, yeah, not funny. <laughs> As he's sitting there trying to write this 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 uh, speech order for, for uh, Enrique's class, Paul shows up. And <laughs> Ray's like, oh, hey, Paul, come for a rematch? I've come to finish this. I'm sick of you ruining my life. Me, you stole my wife. Drove me out of the country. Every bad thing that's happening is your fault. And again, I again, I think Ray's being a little harsh here. Uh, yes, again, I am not defending Paul because, again, yes, he did cheat with Gene in Ray's driveway. Ray caught him. Again, we've talked about that previously. And but, but we you, we can't. I'm willing to say that because, again, their, their marriage was rocky to begin with. Just the, the entire marriage was kind of rocky. And again, he was spending a lot of time as between working as a scientist and, and superheroing, he, he kind of neglected Gene. So, I mean, for her to wander off, yeah, you could expect that. But so it's not entirely uh, Paul's fault. I mean, Gene was going to leave at some point or she was going to cheat at some point. Uh, and yeah, it looks like she probably was going to cheat at some point. And so uh, Paul just happened to be the one it happened to be with. Again, not that I'm excusing him. I think he's a rat bastard, but that's my own personal thoughts. Uh, <laughs> and then Paul starts going off how, you know, Ray humiliated him in front of Gene. That's what you're trying to do. You'll never get her back. Never. And again, he's blaming Ray for this. But again, Gene cheated on Ray. And as they say, once someone cheats once, there's a good possibility they'll do it again. So, I mean, I, he's blaming Ray when the problem appears to be Jean. In fact, she'll be a problem for years to come throughout the DC titles, but that's for the future. But <laughs> uh, anyways, yes. But yeah, he's sitting there blaming Ray for everything. When again, it's not Ray's fault. If Jean likes Ray, that's, uh, or, you know, re-likes Ray or still in love with Ray or whatever, you can't blame Ray for that. Ray's just trying to live his life. 
And as they're talking, we hear with the big peak light again. And we see Strobe in his new costume. He's calling himself Edge the Destroyer. He's got uh, look like a green trench coat on over. It looks like a, an Empire's uh, protect vest and knee pads, uh, a helmet with like horns coming out the side of it, a big buckle in the middle of his chest that says Edge with his laser sword. And uh, again, he comes in and I like this. Paul Ray's like, Paul, did you leave the door open? Well, I busted the lock. Who the hell? I'm afraid I know. And, and Ray's all, you're strobe, right? I'm Edge the Destroyer now, Adam. And first one, and the first one I'm going to destroy is you as Ray shrinks down. Because again, strobe, or I'm sorry, Edge forgets who he's dealing with here. It's a guy that can shrink down at will. It's kind of his, his whole stick. And he's kind of forgetting that. But Ray reappears. I like he shrinks down and he reappears and just punches Edge in the face. And uh, Edge's like, keep away from me. Help, Paul. And I, I like as he's attacking Ray, he's calling for help. It's just funny the way it's written. And he happens to swing the sword and accidentally grazes Ray and knocks him down for a moment. Again, not through any skill or actually trying. It just got a lucky blow in. So I do like this. Ray falls to the ground. Strobe's like, tagged you, huh? Or just slip. Doesn't matter because now I'll. And as he goes to take a swipe at Ray, Paul pulls his guns out and just unloads on Edge. Unfortunately for uh, Paul, he's not a very good shot. And all six shots just misses him completely. And Edge is like, gun, huh? And he uses the, the laser sword to zap Paul, knocking him out. Or knocking him, not out, but knocking him down. And again, as Ray lunges at Edge, Edge pulls his sword back and accidentally hits Ray. Again, knocking him out, completely knocking him out. Again, Edge is getting his licks in, but it's purely accidental, which I find is funny. He's taking out the atom, but it's through no skill of his own. It's just he's getting lucky, which I find funny. And Ray wakes up and he's strapped to a chair with Paul, with Edge sitting there uh, gloating how, you know, I can't wait till some other superhero comes. I'll take them out, too. He got lucky. He was able to take Ray out. Now he's thinking he's, you know, the next Lex Luthor, Darkseid or something, which I find is funny. So here on page nine, after Edge ties up Ray and uh, Paul to some rolling desk chairs and gloating like I was talking about. First, Ray's all, you know, I can't believe that, you know, this clown beat me. Uh, maybe Doom's right. Maybe I should leave town. And again, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're going to have these problems because your identity's known. I mean, that's part of having a public identity. But uh, Edge leaves a bomb. It's a gas bomb. It says it's real deadly. And he's, he's gloating as he walks away, saying, Sorry, I can't walk the door. <laughs> but it won't matter. You'll never get out of here alive. <laughs> and Ray's like, Brother, I didn't think people still said that. And as he's leaving the room, Ray says the same thing I'm thinking. He's like, that guy's really dumb. Do you fear I could shrink? As Ray shrinks out of the ropes, and the ropes just go flat. And unfortunately, he tied them separately, so Paul's still tied to his chair. And as Ray's standing there, he looks up at Paul, and he's like, by the way, that, that gun you had, did you bring that to shoot me with? Uh, I was thinking about it. Are you mad? And Ray's like, I'm mostly mad that you missed him six times.
times. <laughs> I love that Ray's like, did you, you brought that gun to shoot me with? He's like, are you mad about it? I'm more mad that you shot at him and you missed all six times, you idiot. So if he could even hit Edge, who's a full-size human, six times, you know, shoot him six times, I highly thought he was going to hit Ray, who could shrink and is a superhero and is, you know, fantastic. Paul's not the sharpest tool in the law firm. Uh, <laughs> so Ray's trying to undo the ropes, but he said they're really tight. So he shrinks down really small, which I, I love here on top of page, I think it's page 10, yeah. Page 10, he shrinks down really small and goes inside the, between the rope. And I just love when here on this top, what is it, the second panel on the top where we see Ray shrinking down into the rope uh, knot. And Ray says it's too slippery. He, he can't, I guess it's a nylon cord, so he can't get good purchase to untie it. Normally, if it was like a regular rope, he'd be able to, you know, untie it or inside you loosen it up. Kind of like I know with my son's shoelaces sometimes, a lot of times he gets them in a knot and I have to sit there and work it to get it loose. Kind of what Ray's trying to do here, but the, the nylon is too slippery for him. And he goes down to a molecular level and he says he can't even snap it. So he, he grows back big and he says he's going to have to find something to cut him out of the ropes with. About that time, the smoke bomb goes off, releasing Gek. So Rab, Rab, Rab? Ray grabs a, a White Dwarf Star a portable generator he has there. Or not generator, but a portable uh, lens projector. And he uses that to shrink Paul down. So again, Paul slips through his ropes like Ray did. And so something happened with the, the when the ray projector hit Paul and he's continuing to shrink instead of stopping. So Ray shrinks down with them and they're also having to escape the gas. And I like here on page 11 how when they're shrunk down in the chair, they see these little green balls floating around. And Ray tells Paul that they're microscopic particles of the poison and that there's small enough to see them, but it could still affect them. So they jump off the chair and Ray tells Paul that he's, he set his mass to reduce also, so he'll float like a feather. And like as they jump off the chair, holding hands are like uh, uh, parachute jumpers, about the parachutes, well, whatever it's called. And, you know, they're, instead of jumping out of a plane, they're jumping off a chair, and they're, they're floating to the ground, and they're seeing dust mites and pollen as they're flying. And again, I love when Ray shrinks down, and he sees the world at a microscopic size. It's fantastic. And as they're falling, the... the uh, Carpet fibers looks like redwood trees to them, and they land on the carpet pad. And as they're standing there, they see an ant, which again, at the size they're at, it's like a, a giant. It's like a size of a building, as they say. Yeah, apparently, it's some sort of. I guess it's not an ant. I guess it's a carpet lice, which is even smaller than an ant. So I hear about on page twelve, Ray, Ray and Paul's running from this gigantic carpet lice, and Ray could large himself back up, but right now, until the uh, effect of the beam wears off, which Ray said he said it for uh, 15 seconds. He says Paul's going to keep shrinking, and so as they're running from it, you know they're they're trying to crawl over the threads of the carpet, but it's like giant logs. And Paul again, he's not a superhero. He doesn't work out on a regular basis. I mean, he's relatively fit for a lawyer, but I don't think he, I don't think he's one of these play racquetball all the time and is very physically fit or very physically active. Sorry, not physically fit, but very physically active. So he's out of breath trying to climb over the, these, in quote, tree trunks. And again, so they're still shrinking. So they fall between the threads into the foam carpet pad. And then they keep fall, shrinking and falling. So they're on the microscopic level. And 
again, as they're falling, Ray's, or sorry, not Ray, but Paul's like, hey, everything's gone gray. Right, I think we're falling through the steel and concrete between floors. So I do like that they're, they're shrieking even smaller. And again, Ray could stop his at any time, but he's keeping up with Paul. So again, that's one of the things I love about Ray, that he's a superhero. I mean, Paul came to kill him because he's jealous of Ray, thinking that Ray wants to get back with Gene, when nothing we've seen on our end from Ray suggests that. It's just Paul's mistaken and, and misreading signs that aren't there. But so Paul came to kill Ray, and Ray's still doing his best to defend and to protect someone that's trying to kill him. Again, that's that's who Ray is. I mean, if a forced, if someone's trying to kill him, he will fight back and he will use deadly force if need be. But Ray's a true hero that he tries to save everyone he can. Because that's what heroes do, in my opinion. Again, I know a lot of people say, oh, no, heroes can kill. Da, da, da. Well, again, to me, true heroes try, they, they can kill if need be, but they should try to protect people. That's what makes him a hero. Again, in, in my not-so-humble opinion. <laughs> and so, again, I like, as they're falling, they're down to a molecular level here on page, uh, what is it, page 15. And thank you for numbering your pages, Power of the Atom. I, I makes it easier to talk about this 30, 40 years later. But uh, as they're falling, they're at the molecular level, and Paul's starting to freak out. Molecular? My dear God, how small are we going to get? We've got to stop this now. And he started, and much like a a swimmer, or not a swimmer, but someone in the pool that's like dr- uh, drowning, he starts kind of freaking out, and he starts grabbing at Ray, and Ray's like, hey, are you crazy? Stop it now. And again, Paul being Paul, he, he starts blaming Ray for the, you planned this. You wanted to get rid of me. You'll never get Gene, never. And uh, Ray's like, all right, you, you whining shyster, you want to fight? You've got one. Do you think you can beat someone who's been trained and has experience? And so they start fighting on molecular levels or shrinking. Uh, again, Paul, much like the edge, is able to get a lucky kick in, kicks Ray in the gut. And they're still fighting as they land on an electron. Uh, they land, Ray kicks them a couple of times, and they land on the electron. And they look up, and it looks like they're on a planet looking up like at a distant planet nearby. It looks like they're now on an alien world. And that's when they realize, because uh, Adam's like, I think we're on an electron. And Paul's like, an electron? And then we hear, I'm not sure if it's Paul or Ray that's laughing uh, when it ends here. It's just, we hear a ha, 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 as we like pull away and show. Like, it's like we're looking at the Earth with the moon next to it almost, though different colors. And then moving on from there, and again, I'm going to mention, I don't mention very often, but there's an ad in here for uh, the Hawk and Dove. This is Balance of Power. It's for the Hawk and Dove ongoing series. In 88, there was a miniseries, and right after that, they launched an ongoing series. And apparently, if you you subscribe to it through here, you could get a free poster, a full-color, what is it? Uh, I didn't say, just a full-color poster. And you'll also receive issues 1, 2, and 3 in the poster together one package. And issue number one was signed by the writers Barbara Kiesel and Barbara and Carl Kiesel. So, and again, I remember seeing this. I didn't want to cut my comic up, so I didn't order it, and I, I didn't trust the mail. I kind of wish I did, because again, that would have nice had that poster and the signed issue number one, because I love Hawk and Dove. As I've mentioned before, I may have to cover that at some point once I get my act together, and some of these other podcasts I'm doing finally end. Somewhere down the line, either on its own show or on here when I'm done with the Adam, I'll be talking about Hawk and Dove at some point, because again, at least the... the uh, 88 version 
which was the Dawn, the female Dawn and Hank Hall uh, characters, because I, I love that comic. But that's for another time entirely. Let's go ahead and move on with the Atom. So again, Ray comes walking over, and he says that Ray's, I guess Paul's been sitting there for a couple hours just staring. And Ray's like, Paul, you're so vast. We're dead. We're just dead. This is an impossible nightmare. How are you even breathing? And again, this is something that's been brought up, I know, especially with the Ant-Man movie. They hear more recently, they brought up, you know, how does Ant-Man breathe at that level? And Ray's just like, I'm not sure. When you're this size, some of the physical laws seem not to apply. And so, again, I know people have asked that for years, and it's kind of like a joke. And, you know, if you're that small, you can't breathe, or how does it happen? And and they kind of address it here. And I think they've addressed it previously, or maybe something after this. But it's just like, you know what? At the, when we're down this small, sometimes the laws don't apply to us. So that's not a bad way of looking at it. So, I mean, my own theory on that is that when they're that small, the air, when it gets close to them, shrinks down also when it gets that close to them. It's, it's like there's like an aura around is my my thought. And so the air gets close and it starts shrinking down so they can breathe at that. And also because if they applied physical law, I mean... I don't know if they could speak that small at that time, at that when they're that small, because of the, like I say, the lack of air and everything else. So I, I that's my own personal theory on it. But a lot of times, most writers, when it's addressed, try to hand wave it away, just like 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 they did here. It's just you know when you're this small, sometimes physical laws seem not to apply. And I like here at the bottom of page 17, they're just sitting there back to back, both kind of like just uh, necessarily meditating. Paul's like giving up and Ray's waiting to see what happens. And as they're talking, you know, Ray's giving kind of his, his uh, not necessarily backstory, but talking about some of his past. He's like, now, Rakarnas is an old enemy of mine. He's treacherous, selfish, and pretty cruel. So I thought it was just an empty gesture. And sure enough, a little later, he turned on me. So he's kind of relating the, the invasion experience to Paul. And Ray says, but suppose for once he was sincere. Suppose we'd work together. Maybe we could have stopped a little of the slaughter in that battle. I'll never know. But you know... That I don't want us to be enemies. I guess you could say I'm holding out my hand to you. You could say it's a ploy. You could figure it's a ploy. Way to glow your suspicions while I try to win back Gene. That's possible, I guess. But you never know unless you try. And he stands up and holds his hand out to Paul, who just sits there ignoring him. And he does this for like two panels where he just turns and walks away because Paul's just ignoring him. So I do like that even though Paul's tried to kill him, he's attacked him when they're shrinking down. He's still accusing him of trying to steal Gene and attacked him again. Ray's still trying to offer that olive branch. He's still trying to, in quotes, mend fences, even though Ray hasn't done nothing wrong. He's trying to explain the situation to Paul and trying to get Paul to listen to reason. But when you're jealous of somebody, especially, again, I'm, I'm a fan of the Adam, so maybe I'm, I'm uh, prejudiced regarding this, but when you got someone that's such a great person as Ray, it's easy to be jealous of them. Because, again, Paul... He's not, in quotes, a bad guy, but, and no matter the reason, he did cheat on a married, he did cheat with a married woman. And again, when, back in the, the Sword of the Atom uh, first uh, special, like it was, or no, the miniseries, the Sword of the Atom miniseries, he cheated with Jean while she was still married to Ray. I mean, if you're an honorable guy, you're not going to hook up with a woman who's married. You're going to, you know... Even if you do like or you're going you know, to respect that laws of marriage, and even if they've got a problem, she needs to address it and get a divorce, not sneak around with, you know, her law partner. So I, I, it's 
part of me wants to feel bad for Paul, but another part of me says, hell with you, you know. Again, that may be my own personal experiences talking here, which I'm not getting into further here, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Paul. Uh, he's not a bad guy per se, but he, he's not a good character either, in my opinion. And finally, Paul's like, Adam, Palmer, wait, you're saying you don't want Gene back? He's like, I don't want anyone right now, Paul. I just saw the woman I love and most of my friends ruthlessly murdered. My insides are one big wound. I can barely function emotionally. I need time to heal. And Ray, uh, Paul's like, I don't think Jean's going to give you that time. She's drawn to you. You're a man of action. She began to see me with contempt. And he's, you know, trying to, well, you're being a little hard on yourself. And he's like, oh, if, if you have control of your size, why don't you, you go big and go get some help? And he's like, because we're on a single electron. And well, I think of a hydrogen module atom and a speck of material in the ceiling of the downstairs lab. That's a nucleus out there. I'd never find you again. So again, yeah, and that's a good question. Why doesn't Ray just go back to normal size and maybe get the shrink ray or whatever, or do something to help him out from there? But again, they're so small, it's worse than any little haystack at this point. And so as they're sitting there, Paul's like, when will I get back to normal? And Ray's like, no, no way to tell. My guess will happen suddenly. And so, of course, being a comic book, as soon as he says that, we turn the page on the page 20 and we show a ceiling. Next panel, we see Paul come crashing through. Crash! Oh, I think I broke my elbow. Where are we? <laughs> and apparently they landed in the lab on the first floor. And they go and they find that strobe, I'm sorry, Edge, is in the uh, in the movie studio. In the new studio, he's all, there's like a big zap and he's there and he's like, I am the Edge of Destruction and I just killed the Atom. And again, so again, he, he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips when, you know, he's not even a what is it, a cold booger on a paper plate, I think it is? Yeah, he th thinks he's all that when he's... Well, he's going to find out what he is here in just a minute. And as the Edge is making his pronouncement that how he's defeated the Atom, Ray and Paul come along behind the stage or whatever, back, backstage. And Paul just rushes out, he's mine! <laughs> Ray, being who he is, I mean, he can let Paul right out there and, and get his cup. That's, you know, because again, Paul did come try to kill Ray, but... Ray jumps down, shrinks down, and goes into the sword that Edge has. And again, he doesn't have time to, to disconnect anything, so he just increases his 180 pounds full size, his mass, as it were, and causes the sword to collapse to the ground, pulling Edge's arm along with it, leaving him free for Paul just to punch him and knock him out. Punch him in the jaw, punch him in the gut. And uh, <laughs> I like this. He, he, Paul's beating the crap out of Edge. And the, the, the Adam grows large again, and the guy in the studio is like, hey, wow, look at that guy go. He's like, but you're the Adam, the Edge of Destruction. He said he killed you. I guess he is a very reliable news source. And off stage we hear, or off screen, I guess, we hear, you know, sat, smack, bop, wham, where Paul's just beating the crap out of Edge. The guy reporter's like, oh, but aren't you going to help that guy? Doesn't look like he needs help to me. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I, Ray's letting Paul, you know, work out his frustrations on his problems of, you know, his marriage to Gene on this bad guy that tried to kill them both. So again, you can't really, bl you know, blame him. I'm sure if Paul was to get to the stage where he's going to kill the guy, Ray would step in. But again, I, I like the story. Love the art. It's just fantastic. I love this, this series. Uh, fantastic. And then we get the next issue says rattling the cages. 30 big ones. Again, another fantastic story. I just love this series. I wish it had been longer, but it is what it is. 
Uh, but that's going to do it for the Power of the Atom issue number 12. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back with At the Movies of Head. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! <laughs> I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s. From everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes. We'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle, and I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGPod.com and CordIndustries.blogspot.com. Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it .com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. 
find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And now back to Head Speaks. Welcome back from the break. Hope you enjoyed those promos. Uh, now for one last small section, we have... So this is a uh, a special Christmas edition. The other day, my son, my eight-year-old, wanted to record a podcast with the wife and I, so we recorded it, and I'm throwing it at the end of this episode. So sit back and enjoy uh, Michelle and I as we talk with Grayson about The Grinch. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Merry Christmas from the Moss family. Woohoo! Happy holidays and all that fun stuff. So, I am your host, Aaron, Brotherhead Moss, as normal. And with me is my beautiful wife, Michelle. Hello. Excuse me, why'd you put mom in first? And also joining us, as you can hear in the background there, <gasps> the? is our eight-year-old son, Grayson. And this is his his first time live podcasting debut. And he's going to kill us when he's 15, <laughs> ask his sister. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Today, we're going to be talking about the Grinch. Yes, Grayson wanted to talk about the 2018 Grinch movie, movie. that came out. So, we're yeah, we, here we are talking yeah, about it. We have the picture um, behind us. Yes, for those viewing on the, on YouTube or the Twitter, I have the Grinch and Max from that movie as the, the background. Grayson's very excited to talk about this. Yes, I am. Yes, I am, but not. Yes, I am, really. So, again, this was the 2018 film. It's basically... Uh, Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, yeah. but it's been updated for 2020s, I guess. What are you <laughs> well, trying to say? It was directed by Scott Mosier from Kevin Smith. Oh. Scott Mosier. Scott, Scott Mosier. Well, this is a podcast and a comedy. This game okay. is this podcast. And Bernadette, Benedict Cumberbatch, Dr. Strange, yeah. was the voice. The Grinch. And did you know that he chose to make the Grinch not have a British accent um, because he thought it would be too weird because everything else was American. So he Americanized his voice. Much like he does for Doctor Strange. Hmm. Yep. Very nice. I thought you guys met Doctor Who. No, I did not realize that Doctor Strange was the voice of the Grinch. I've only seen the bits and pieces of this over the years. So so again, this is Grayson. As I said, this is Grayson's first time. So please bear with us. Okay. So as we get him accustomed to podcasting and YouTubing. Don't so, the mic, son. Sorry. The mic. so, so, Dad. Yes, Grayson. What was what, what was the question? I don't know. Did I have a question? Yes. Oh, I was trying to ask a question. And I got sidetracked. Yeah. Um. So, Grayson, did you like the movie? Yes, I love the movie. Everybody at home should watch it. And do you know how many times you've seen this movie? Uh, I don't know because it's been a long time. A long time. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. Yeah. So, what was your favorite part of the movie? It was probably when um when the Grinch got when the um snowball just got in he was like phew and then it the and then the cannonball just weighed him all the way to the Christmas tree. 
Oh, yeah. The cannibal weed demolished the Christmas tree. Yeah, that was really, 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 really funny. Did you like Max in here? Oh, my gosh. He was really a cute doggy. I really want that dog. Don't we kind of have a Max? I was going to say, Wicket kind of reminds me of Max. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We Lexi, she has, she has a dog named Wicket. He's super cute. He's like Max. And I'm the Grange. Wicket, come here. Oh, Wicket, come here. Come here. So, have you seen the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas? The old school one? Yes. One. But I do not like that movie. I don't like that one. I only like... I not only, the original. The cartoon was the original. I only the like the 2018 cartoon. one. The old like, cartoon. Yeah, no, 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 not the old cartoon. I um, only just love the 2018. Yeah. And you don't like the one Jim Carrey? The live action? No. Why? <laughs> that one looks scary. Grinch isn't scary looking? Yeah, this one doesn't really seem scary since it's not a live action. Oh. Uh, what don't you like about the original cartoon? Do you know? I don't know. I just don't like it. You just don't like it? When, What's your least favorite part? Oh, uh, that? Uh, I don't have a least favorite part. You like the whole thing? Yes. Yeah. You like Cindy Lou? Cindy Lou who? She's really my favorite character, and yeah. I'm not kidding. And so th- those characters were in the original movie. The Grinch and Max and Cindy Lou who. <laughs> but the, what was that, a buffalo? Or what was that that uh, animal was in there a with A big them? reindeer? Was that a reindeer? Was that supposed to be a reindeer? It's a reindeer? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. That's only all small bits and pieces of it, so I'm not it's sure. It's a moose or a reindeer. It's a moose or a reindeer. Nobody knows. Well, while you're talking, I'm going to jump over to Wikipedia and see what it tells me it was, because I didn't recognize that as a reindeer. I don't know if it's a reindeer or a moose. So, Grayson. Yes? What did you think of the art? Art? Yeah, how it was drawn. Um, I had never seen that part, but I like the when it actually shows it. No, I'm asking you, how do you like the way the characters are drawn? Oh, oh yeah, I love that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What about the music? The music's amazing. What do you Every, like about it? Everything. The whole movie I love and like. Can you tell the, the people, maybe there's somebody out there who hasn't seen it, can you tell them a summary of the story? The summary? Mm-hmm. Try to give uh, them, like, tell them what the movie's about. What happens during the movie? I do not know the summary because I forgot. What's the first part of the movie? What happens? Oh, the first part of the movie, guys, is when it introduces um the Who's of Whoville. And no, I'm this is not actually moving on its own. It's my hand moving it. Mm. So you kids don't get scared. And I'm stucking. What's the problem of the movie? The problem? Yeah. The main problem in the movie, guys, is the Grinch wants to steal Christmas. Oh, Why? No. Because when the Grinch steals Christmas, that's bad for everybody, and the bad parts are the when the villains try to take over, mm. try to be evil. But why does the Grinch want to steal Christmas? Well, probably because he hate he hate. Is that what you're yes, it's okay. Because he word. hates Christmas. Why does he hate Christmas? I don't know. It didn't show that much of the backstory. No, what about his heart? The, oh, right, his heart was super small. It was like the tiniest thing. Yeah. Did they say how small it was? It said it's two sizes too small. And yes, I was looking, and it, apparently it is a fat reindeer named Fred. Fat he, reindeer named Fred. A fat reindeer named Fred that he befriends. Wow. Wow, it's really a fat reindeer? Yep. It looks like a moose. What are you drinking? I'm drinking Pepsi. Um, in my unicorn cup. And you you had to drink Pepsi while you were podcasting? Mm-hmm. I need it during the podcast. And what's Cindy Lou? What is okay? So here you go. You're asking me how old Cindy Lou is. She's six years old. She's six. 
Yep, she's supposed to be six years old. In the she movie. is literally like this small guy is. Well, again, who's are smaller? Yeah, they're little who built people. Oh, guys, here's some interesting facts for a minute. Um, the who's are actually not humans. What are they? <laughs> they're who's. Where do they live? In Whoville. And also, the who's don't have ears at all. Then how do they hear? I don't know, through their hair. Oh, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> How does that even make sense? So what's Cindy Lou do in the movie? What's She's just movie? a nice kid. She didn't even get mad at anything the Grinch did. Oh, yeah? That's popcorn? Mm-hmm. So what, what, when the movie was starting out, what was she trying to do? Do you remember? Oh, she was trying to get a very important message to Santa. Oh, yeah? But what was her message? Do you know? To help her mom. So have you actually seen this movie before? Have you sat down and watched it? I don't it? like it. It's bad. It's so bad. What? I said he's so bad. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's a mean one. Mr. Grinch. He really is a mean Anyways, what else you got to say, Grayson? Or this is going to be a really short podcast. What? What else do you have to say or else is going to be a really short podcast? Put it down. Um, so does the Grinch, is the Grinch able to steal Christmas? The answer is yes and no. What do you mean by that? Because first he's, he actually stole it. But then Cindy Lou time. changed his mind. Oh, how'd she do that? By being nice. Oh. And also, when the Grinch came down the chimney as Santa, Cindy Lou Who, she was telling him about how if you close your eyes during their singing, the sadness goes away. Oh, then yeah. when he came back and they started singing, he closed his eyes and then he turned good. Oh, yeah? Because his uh, heart went bigger and bigger and bigger. Do you know how much bigger it got? No. They say it grew three sizes that day? Yeah, it grew three sizes that big. And what happened at the end, afterwards? Did the Grinch have to celebrate Christmas alone? No. What happened? So basically, the Who's, they invited, um, Cindy Lou Who invited him for Christmas dinner. That was very nice of her. Yeah, she's a she's a good girl. Oh, yeah, she sounds like a very good girl. Yeah, she is. She was played by Cameron Seeley. Cameron Seeley. Yep. I thought... Wait, was Tara Strong in the movie? No. Tara, this is, this is a movie that Tara Strong was not involved in. Tiara. <laughs> Tiara. What, how do you pronounce her name? Tiara. Okay. If Tara Strong, if you're watching this, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I think it's Tara. I do Tiara. Tiara. I think it's Tara Strong. T-A-R-A. I think Strong. it's Tiara Strong. Tiara Strong, if you're watching this, I pronounce your name Tiara Strong. And Rashida Jones is Donna Who, Cindy Lou's mother. She is the daughter of Quincy Jones, which Grace knows nothing about, but I think that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Did you like the songs in the show? Uh-huh. Yeah, which was your favorite song in there? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You're a mean one. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. Mr. Grinch. Oh, did they play that one in there, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah, was it, uh, he was, uh... You're a mean one. What's his name, uh... At the beginning? Pharrell Williams. I think he did that one. It's in the beginning. How do you not know, how do you not know when my music starts playing? Because I only saw part of it. I was busy at that time, as well as I've seen Dad, that Dad, the Grinch is talking. Still the same answer is the same. I was busy when it started, and it's been all I've seen in the beginning. But now that you mentioned, I do, I do remember Pharrell Williams sung, redid, and sung You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Yeah. Last time was, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You're long as cold. Right? Jake, all the characters' voices in? Yeah. Yeah. 
You like the guy that did the Grinch? Yeah, because he's me. Got a good voice? Yeah, because he's me. Okay. Okay, it was Keenan Thompson as uh, the neighbor, Bricklebum, who's a comedian. There's a rap song in it, too. What? The beginning, there's a rap song. And I forget who sang it, like Pharrell Williams or something like that. Um, well, they're... You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Danny Elfman composed the film score. Tyler, the creator, wrote a You're new a song for the film titled I Am the Grinch. You're a mean and it one. says Tyler and Elfman collaborated on the new version of the song You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. So looking at, again, Wikipedia. Okay, yeah, so the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch is by Tyler, the creator. And I Am the Grinch is by Tyler, the creator. Christmas is by Run DMC. According to the track listing, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch was first. Followed by I'm the Grinch, by, both of them by Tyler, the creator. And then Christmas is by Ren DMC, okay. which I don't recognize offhand. But then later on, they play Christmas on Hollis, which I do recognize by Ren DMC. Run New World Front in it, is in it, Deck the Halls. Deck the Halls with Falls of Folly, la 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 So, is there anything else you want to say about the Grinch, Grayson? No, what about you, Dad? Yeah, let's hear how you feel about the Grinch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how, no, how about you, Mom? You haven't talked this whole podcast. I have two. So well, you not have, your, have your dad talk first. Okay, got the popcorn. Mom, mom, it was okay. It, it, I still like the original because I'm old and I like the originals of everything. But it was it was an interesting update. Like I said, I do like some of the song choices they had. Like I said, they got some Run DMC, which I'm a big fan of. So I like that. I, I do like the Cindy Lou show for the uninvited Max and the Grinch. Right? I forgot his name for a second. The Grinch. Down for Christmas. Apparently, this one, the Max was um, portrayed more as a loyal, loving dog who was really like who really did love the Grinch, whereas the first one he was kind of like begrudgingly. I don't know how to say that word. Begrudged. Grund. Sure, grund. Begrudgingly. Sorry, guys. I'm not good with spelling. So I'll rewatch it both because I, I don't notice a bit. Didn't I notice read a that big difference. I, I read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't notice a big difference in the two. Uh, he was a little more low here, I guess. But I mean, the first one he went along with everything the Grinch was doing, also. So. Well, I think the first one he he kind of did it. He treated Max kind of rough and. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, here we get we get a little more with Max and Lily. Not Max, really backstory wise, but just story wise with Max. Cindy Lou and Grinch and Max are my favorite characters, by the way. Are they? Uh huh. Is there anything else you want you would like to say? I was trying to think. I think it was the I think it was the live action Grinch, where they didn't seem to be as happy after he stole everything, which I didn't like. This one here again, I, I forget right offhand, but yeah, reading the Wikipedia, That's- apparently they were they were Cindy Lou was blaming herself because she tried to set a trap for Santa. That's what she did in the 2018. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Oh. And this one here, she tried to set a trap for Santa, so she blamed herself. The Christmas didn't come. Her mom said, well, no, you're the best present I ever got, and as long as we've got family. And then that's when they started singing the Welcome Christmas. Welcome Christmas, blank, space, blank, because I don't remember the song, so I'm just talking in the song, talking in the song. <laughs> Which made the, the Grinch realize that as is in the original, you know, you don't need Christmas is still going to come even without the presence and the singing and the joy and the not necessarily joy, but the, the singing and the presence and the uh, feast and the who beast and all that. Christmas will still come and Christmas is about family and what you make of it. So, Grace, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Would you be happy if Santa Claus didn't come and bring you presents this year? 
as long no. as you as long as you had your family. Yeah, we we could sing and be all happy that we have each other. And no, I need my toys. I want. I, what do you want for Christmas? I think someone needs to rewatch this movie. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? I'm not gonna say it all on podcasts. Why? Because maybe Santa Claus is watching. No maybe he will watch. You never know. There's no. There's no way Santa Claus has internet. Santa Claus has internet. Are you kidding me? Everything he runs d- on the internet. Oop. Everything runs on the internet nowadays, yeah. son. Even the North he Pole. He even orders Ooh. things from Amazon. Did you know that? How do they get it? He ships it to people's houses. Huh? It's really helped with, like, you know, actually delivering presents. He can get to more people that way. Because the world's grow. There's more people in the world now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So like, he needs help. How does he get the presents? He orders it on Amazon and it gets shipped to people's houses. That means that every package I got was from Santa? No. Some of them was from Mom and Dad. And someone's actually from Santa? Mm-hmm. Mm. Hey, Mom, you didn't speak of how do you want the crew? Oh, I feel that this movie was okay. It's not my favorite. I like the original better. And that's probably because that's what I grew up on. And the I'm not a big fan of the whole digital animation style. I like hand-drawn stuff, so, so I'm a purist. The 2018? No. What year did the original one come out? Yeah. Dad. 1966. Okay. Three years before I was born is when that one came out. 1966. Yep. You guys have to to look at the books and the movies. Only see the 2018 if you're eight. (laughs) Because there's 2018. Because there's eight and 18. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's going to do it for this Christmas. So again, once again, from the Moss family. You want to wish you a Merry Christmas? Yes. You want to tell her Merry Christmas, son? Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. Say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And goodbye, everybody. Thank you for watching and listening. And I'm back in real time. Uh, So thus ends another episode of Head Speaks. Hopefully we'll be out on time next month. Hopefully I'll get these delays knocked out and we'll get things on a regular schedule again. Thank you those for those waiting patiently and listening in still. Uh, next month, we'll be looking at Power of the Atom 13, plus whatever else I decide to fit in. Uh, until next time, remember, Head has spoken. for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google+, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, my podcasting friends Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. 
All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on HeadSpeaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of HeadSpeaks. Unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. HeadSpeaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, Real American HeadCast are all part of the HeadCast family. So join us next month for another wonderful episode of HeadSpeaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night. Thank you.